Good morning. How you doing this morning? We're so glad you're with us here at South City and with our family. We, uh, we talk about being a family of families all the time, and so we hope that you can feel like part of our family today and uh, that if the Lord would lead you that way, you could be a part of our family. That's what What's Next is all about. Excited to start that this week. You know, I was thinking about my, uh, my grandfather uh, on my mom's side, her father. He was... Uh, a deacon in this church in, in uh, Temple Baptist uh, years and years ago. They, they joined the church in 1942. Uh, but one of the things that are interesting about him, if you knew my grandfather, you knew he loved to fish. He was a fisherman. I mean, he, uh, I, I can still remember his old boat motor that he had that he took to rent a little boat and he would, you know, uh, go fishing. His tackle box he had a, a, a big bass mounted in the laundry room. Every time you walked outside and came back in, you had to go by that big fish, you know. In fact, I brought a prop for us today. Uh, this, is, um, this is my grandfather's reel here. Um, Leslie was kind enough to put it on this, this uh, pole for me because I'm not the fisherman that he was. But this is special to me. And I'll tell you, we have some pretty great fishermen in our church. Uh, Leslie's one of them. Uh, Rod is one of them. Uh, let me see here. Hayden is one of them, yes. Um, Adam is one of those. Uh, Bobby Johnson was a ma- an amazing fisherman and has now carried on with his grandson Casey and, and others in the family. Anna cleans fish. Yes, yeah, she's pretty great at that. <laughs> uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about fishing, not in the sense that you may think. Uh, We have a uh, series that we've been in called Multiply. And even as you see on the screen here, there's a text underneath that says, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, What does that even mean, (laughs) right? As we think about that, that is a a text that that has, um, God has used to sort of uh, light a fire under me for this entire series. And today I want to talk about that. One of the things I know about being a fisherman is if you're going to be any good at it, you got to know your stuff. If you're going to be a fisherman and you're actually going to catch fish, which is sort of the idea, I think, right? You got to know gear. You got to know uh, the right place. You got to know the right weather. You got to know the right depth, the right spot. There's all these things that you need to know as a fisherman. I, on the other hand, like I said, I'm not a great fisherman. Uh, I've been fishing quite a bit. and failed mostly. Uh, I, I, I'll never forget this story. Lori and I were, I was working as a youth pastor in Livingston, Texas, First Baptist Church of Livingston, Texas. And one of the couples in the church said, hey, you guys ought to come to our pond. It's stocked, easy to catch fish, right? Um, and come out to our pond and uh, fish. It was great. So we took, I think we took my grandfather's tackle box and a couple of rod and, and uh, reels and went out to the pond. You'd have loved it, Rod. It was an amazing place. They said, in fact, just throw out some of this feed and the fish will come up to the, I mean, it's like as easy as it could be. Sure enough, we threw some stuff out on the water and these ginormous catfish come up and just start skimming the water and eating all the food off the top of the water. And I'm like, this is going to be easy, you know? So I, I cast out there, nothing, not a bite, not a nibble. I'm thinking, I can see them. They're right there. So I'm, I'm doing this right in front of their face. There it is, buddy. There it is. Right there, right there, right Nothing. Nothing. And I'm kind of ashamed to admit this next part, but I'm going to for the sake of the story. You ever seen one of those big treble hooks? I thought, I think I saw one of those in the uh, tackle box. So I put a big treble hook on the, on the line with some weights, and I just went, and I caught two of those jokers. And then I felt bad about it. This is not really the sportsman way to go fishing. So we let them off the hook and we, we, we didn't take them. But anyway, like I said, I'm not much of a fisherman and sometimes I had to resort to barbaric ways, but I caught those jokers. Our series, Multiply, this main verse, I want to look at a couple verses uh, as well to join with it. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 4, verse 18. I want us to get a, a true sense of kind of what's going on right here in this little picture as Jesus calls some of his disciples to himself. Matthew 4, 18 says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter. Of course, Jesus later names him Peter. 
and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this family of believers joined together for your mission. God, thank you for five incredible years of adventure. (laughs) Really, uh, almost six. If you consider the time that you were working on my heart to bring me here. (laughs) Lord, thank you for Brother Jerry and Miss Sue. Thank you for the people that were a part of this church that still are. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy because you are the one that has built your church, that is building your church. You are the one who has been faithful to, to all, all glory be to God for your goodness and how you've worked in, in, in us as a family over these five years. We just thank you, God. We just give you the glory. Lord, we pray that right now you would lead us to your word. You'd help us to truly understand what it means to be a fisher of men. That we would take that seriously as disciple makers and that we would learn, uh, God, maybe what what it is that you were saying to them and and also what you may be saying to us. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would lead us to all truth in this time. God, that you'd help me to decrease and that you would increase as we study your word and we, we seek to know you more. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So here's this moment, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees these two brothers and he calls them something, he calls them uh, fishermen, you know, fishermen, basically. They're throwing a net into the the lake, it says that that's what they were, they were fishermen. But he says to them, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I don't think it was just sort of this side comment about, hey, you know, kind of making this parallel, I think, you you know, you're just... uh, you're a fisherman, I'm actually going to continue to let you be a fisherman just for men. I don't think it was just a coincidence or sort of a side throwaway comment that Jesus was making. I think he was actually saying something about what he expects of his disciples, what he wants even us to be, right? Um, but I think in order for us to understand this comment, because what does it mean to be a fisher of men? In order for us to try and get a grasp on what he's saying here, I think we need to understand what it means to be a fisherman. We've got to start there, Right? Well, great fishermen know their stuff. Like I said, their gear, the spots. They know, they know what to do and, and how to catch fish if they're going to catch them. They know where to go. The other day we were at food pantry and this gentleman came up and I was making small talk with him. And I noticed a couple of rod and reels in his truck. And I said, man, you been fishing? Yeah. He started telling me about the big catch he made. And we were talking about Lake Conway. Julian's serving over there. But, well, we were talking about Lake Conway. He said, yeah, you ever been to the... I forget the name of the spot. I probably should have remembered that. That's why I'm not a good fisherman. Um, he, he tells me this spot, and I was like, no, I hadn't. He goes, oh, man, that's where you go, you know. So if you're going to be a great fisherman, you've got to know your stuff. You've also got to know the right places to go. There's also a sense of sensitivity. I'll never forget the first time I threw one in that had a bobber on it, and I had to just, my eyes were fixed on that bobber. The wave would follow it. Was that a fish? No, you know. And sometimes something would hit it, and I'd pull so hard it would just pull the whole thing, you know. Beware, everyone, of the hook in the air. you got to be sensitive with these fish. Well, it's not unlike for us to be, to be fishermen. For us to be fishers of men, we need to take some of these hints. So we need to know some things about who we're trying to reach. These are going to be four, four points I want to give you today. This is what they are. Number one, we need to know some things, right? We need to know who we're trying to reach, Number two, we got to go to them. Don't expect them to come to us. I think that has been a problem with the church for so long. Our doors are open. Anyone is welcome. <laughs> They're not coming for the most part, right? we got to go to them. It's kind of like staying at home going, I can't wait to eat these fish. They're going to swim right up to the, no. you you got to go to the fish, right, where they are. we got to, uh, when we get there, we got to show people sensitivity, We've got to show them the love of Christ and bless them, and we've got to then sow into their lives the, the truth of God's word. You know, sometimes I think as a disciple, if you've been in the church very long, it's easy to think that discipleship is about what happens with people who are saved. I've been guilty of thinking this, right? So last week we had a couple of baptisms, praise the Lord, it was wonderful, and many of us go, okay, now it's time to disciple them. Don't we think that? 
They've been saved and baptized. Now we need to make disciples. That's actually not the case. You need to back up discipleship all the way to lost people. But we don't think that way. No, we think once we get them saved and baptized, now we disciple them. But discipleship actually begins with people who are lost. That's what we think in this current church culture. We, now we start, but it's not the same with, with, with fishing, right? I mean, you don't begin fishing by cleaning and eating some fish. You gotta catch them, don't you? You gotta go to where they are. I love that in the Greek, you know, we, we've talked over the Great Commission over and over again every week. In the Greek, you know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. This is an active uh, verb when he says go. He's, he's actually saying a better translation is, as you are going, which changes the whole thing. Because for a long time, the church has made uh, discipleship and evangelism an event. Hey, meet me at the church on Tuesday night. We're going to go be witnesses for Christ. That's the event, right? Hey, join me on this mission trip. We're going to go somewhere internationally. I've never shared Jesus with anybody, but I'm going to go across the world and share it with those people, right? We make it this event. But really, if you change the understanding that Jesus is saying as you're going, what he's trying to say is have a lifestyle of awareness. Live with a, a missional awareness that people in the world are lost. And as you consider and engage with people, ask your heart this question, I wonder if they know Christ. I wonder if God would give me an opportunity to speak to their heart, to, to ask them, to share with them what I believe, what God has done in me. As you are going with your family, as you are going to work, as you are walking down the street, as you're going on vacation, as we are going, we need to have a lifestyle of spiritual reproduction. That's exactly what Jesus had. Everywhere he went, whatever he did, he was making uh, disciples. He was seeing the spiritual reproduction. Can we have that in our own lives? I think we can. But the reality is we don't do this, church. We don't do this. This is not something that, that we typically make a part of our lives. We might invite people to church. We might say, hey, come hear the preaching. And how many times I've heard in my life, yeah, they don't know the Lord, I'm going to try and get them to church. Right? Like, if we bring them here, whew, I just, and I've heard this, I just hope they hear what they need to hear. Have you heard that? Man, I just hope they hear something. You know how they can hear something? You opening your mouth and saying, you need Jesus. That's how they can hear something. That's it. You loving them well enough to engage in conversation and be a friend and get to know where they are spiritually. And at some point saying, you need Jesus. This is what he's done in me, and this is what he can do in you. Friends, i got to say, for too long we've said, come to church, and I think God is saying to South City and to the church at large, you need to get out into the water and go fishing. we got to go fishing. we got to go to them, and we got to understand this is our responsibility. God is calling us to this. It's not enough to come to church, to a building, to a service, and just grow and receive. That's not enough, friends. When we look at the early church, the first century church, that is not what they did. Yes, they, they were devoted to teaching. Yes, they were devoted to worship and fellowship, but they also went on mission, and God added to their number every day because they went on mission. God is calling his, he's calling his church not just to learn and not just to, to gather, but to go and be on mission. That's what we have to do. Uh, Gene Getz is a, is a writer that writes a lot in our, some of our cohorts that we uh, go through and we, we teach. Right now we're going through the Acts cohort and we see his name a lot. I like what he says in his book, Sharpening the Focus of the Church. He says, generally speaking, unsaved people are to be reached by the church, not in the church. Generally speaking, unsaved people are, are, are to be, be reached by you, not necessarily in here. Moms and dads, are, my prayer is that as your kids are, are, are asking questions about salvation, as they're wanting to know what matters most in life, don't just bring them to the pastor. Don't just bring them to church. Yes, that's a good thing. We're glad you're here. This is part of a life in Christ is connection to other believers, but you need to know how to lead them to Jesus. 
You need to know what to show them in Scripture. You need to, to be able to share with them your experience of salvation so that you can have that sweet experience with them of leading them to Jesus. And over the next few weeks, we're going to start talking about some very specific uh, methods and, and scriptures and things to help you understand how to do that. So if you have your little uh, multiplied journal or some other kind of journal or your phone, take some notes down and let's study this and know it, right? As believers in Jesus, we need to know this. But the question is, is are you ready to share? Do you know how to lead somebody to Christ? I pray that we will learn that if we don't know it now. We'll learn it soon. So here's, here's the four things I want us to see this morning. Number one, if we're going to follow sort of the process of fishermen to learn what it means to be a fisher of men, we got to know who it is we're trying to reach. We need to know everything that we can about them. Last week we talked about the fact that if you're saved, you're sent, right? If God has changed your heart, if he's changed your life, if he has saved your soul, then there's an expectation of you as a follower of Christ that now you will be on mission with him to reach people for Christ. You are now, and I said it last week, you are now a missionary. Welcome to the missionary club. It's called the church. That's what we do. We make disciples. We tell people about Jesus, and discipleship doesn't start with saved people. It starts with lost people. And so we got to go to where they are. Let me give you an example that's easy. It's easy for me to think of it this way. If I told you, hey, you're the next missionary to this island in Papua New Guinea, we're going to get on a plane and we're going to get over there. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, this is the island. You're, you're going to be responsible for spiritual reproduction on this island. You ready? Go. What are you going to do? It's easier for some reason for me to, in that context, think about what does a missionary do? Well, the first thing you might say is, do I even speak their language? Can we even communicate together? I need to know how to speak their language. We need to know how to, to understand one another. So that's the first thing that we need to know. How, how, do, how do they communicate, right? And then you might ask a question like, what do they worship? That's a pretty big question. I need to understand what they value in their life in such a way that they worship it. What are their priorities? What's their family structure? What are meaningful ways that I could serve them? What do they need? See, you would start asking some very specific questions if you were in that situation in order to be a missionary that actually makes some disciples in that context, right? But do we do that same thing with the people God has laid on our heart to reach? Not often. Number one, we need to know who it is that God is laying on our hearts to reach. Who are they? In uh, theology in the church, often we, we use this phrase, we need to exegete the culture. Right? Fancy, fancy phrase. And what it means is we need to understand everything about that culture. We need to understand the history of that place. We need to understand relationships. Uh, race relationships, values, language, context. We need to understand everything we can about those people so that we can minister to them, right? To exegete the culture. When I preach on Sundays, my hope and prayer is that I can exegete to you the word of God. What that means is I want you to understand the context of that scripture. The culture that it was in when, when they lived there in that time period, what the writer's intent was, what God's intent was through the writer to that people and then ultimately through to us. I want us to understand everything we can so that we truly get God's heart from his word. In the same way, we have to exegete the culture that we want to reach. Who do you want to reach? Is there somebody in your mind right now at your work? Somebody in your mind in your neighborhood? Do you know them? Do you know what makes them tick? What are they about? Moses did this. Look over Numbers chapter 13. He wanted to know what the promised land was all about. Numbers 13 uh, verse 17 said, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the, Lord, the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are in camps or in strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. What's, what's Moses wanting to know? Everything about the promised land. He wants to know about the people, 
the, the, the land, the context. Why? Because he wants to take that land and he needs to know everything he can before he, he sends people in to battle. We need to know who it is we're trying to reach. Wolfgang Simpson in his book, Houses That Changed the World, says, like Joshua and Caleb, as they spied out the promised land, we need spirit-directed research on, quote, the harvest force, which is the church, and the harvest field, which is the world. We need to observe the signs of the times. We need to read and interpret the newspapers, statistics, trend analysis, and whatever helps us to understand that nature and magnitude of the unfinished task in a nation. Since we cannot really love what we do not know well, knowing our country or community or neighbor or person at work better allows us to love them and reach them. We need to know who it is God's calling us to reach. There's a really interesting scripture um, in First Chronicles. The, the, the context of the story is David is, is pulling mighty men together. And he is, it's listed in First Chronicles chapter 12. Uh, all these different men, all their different strengths, how many are coming, the different aspects that they have. But it's really interesting, this one little phrase, First Chronicles 12, 32, says uh, of this place, of this group of people, of Issachar. Well, they had men who understood the times and they know what Israel ought to do. Isn't that interesting? It's so interesting that David saw that as a strength for battle. We need people who understand the times and they know what Israel ought to do. Can I just tell you something? South City needs some of those men and women. We need people who understand what we're dealing with, what we're up against in, in, in the times of the world. We need to understand what, what's going on in our city, in our community. And we need to have a sense of what it is that South City ought to do, or your family ought to do, or the body of Christ ought to do. First thing I would tell you to start with is, just as Jesus said in Acts 1-8, we start with Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Start right where you live. Let's start with your home. Let's start with your dwelling. Do people in your home know Jesus? Does everybody know Christ in your home? Move out from your immediate family to extended family. Does everybody in your extended family, do they know Christ as their Savior? Begin to have conversations that engage them about this topic to help them settle this issue in their, their heart and soul. Do they know Christ? Pray for them. Move out of, of your extended family into your neighborhood, into your coworkers, into these different places of proximity. Wherever you are, as you are going, you're going to make disciples. Next week, we're going to talk about that specific thing. I'm excited to, to talk about that. But this is what we need to do, who we need to be. We need to know who they are. As we consider who knows Christ and who doesn't, then it sort of makes it easy for us to know where we need to focus, right? These are the people that, that are in my neighborhood that we need to pray for. These are the people that, that we need to engage relationally and, and connect and serve and bless. We need to get to know who needs Jesus and then get to know them. Be intentional in our awareness, in our kindness, in our prayer, in our relationship. I think in doing this, there, there's some specific things we need to understand, maybe about our neighbors or our coworkers. What about their social context? What do they do for a living? Do you know what your neighbors do? Do you know what their hobbies are? Do you know what their education is? And then we get a little more serious and we go, what about their interior life? Do we know some of their hopes and fears or struggles? What they're dealing with emotionally? Do we know some of their family dynamic and history? Do we know what they believe? Do we know their spiritual life? Do we know what their worldview is or what their uh, biblical belief system is or non-biblical belief system is? Do they have a religion? Do they go to church? These things help us know who these people are. Listen, we can't pray for people God wants us to reach. And we can't lead them to Christ if we don't know them. <laughs> we need to know who these people are, okay? Next, in order to be a good fisherman, it's not just about the, the, the gear, equipment. You can have the best gear in the world. Adam's got some amazing fishing gear. But if he doesn't go to the exact spot where fish are, he's not going to catch any fish. This is that simple. you got to go where they are. Luke 19, 10. Jesus said this. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We talked about this verse not long ago. But listen, do you think if Jesus had to be intentional to seek people who needed him, that we might have to? It says he came to seek and save the lost. That means we're going to have to seek out people who need Jesus. We're going to have to be intentional in that way to go where they are. Far too long we've said, come and see, right? Come to church. Come listen. Come just sit next to me. And yet we don't share with people the hope that we have in Christ. You know, Jesus said, the fields are ripe with harvest. Remember he said that? In other words, there are people everywhere. Everywhere you look, when you walk out these doors, everywhere you look, there are people who need Jesus. I wish there were some glasses that you could put on and you could just see, oh, that guy doesn't know Jesus. And it would make it a little easier, wouldn't it? But Jesus said that they're everywhere. When you look at a cotton field, if you've ever been in places where there are cotton fields at harvest, it's just bright white. That's the same idea here Jesus is trying to say about lost people in our communities. They're everywhere. And then he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send people. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus wasn't speaking rhetorically the way I do to my kids sometimes. You know, it's like, man, there's a lot of dishes in the sink. I, you guys, I just wish I could find some, some good workers to get those dishes done. You know what I mean? I'm, where can I go? Where could I? Not that he was being sarcastic, but I mean, he's looking at his disciples, right? So yeah, we're going to pray that the Lord sends workers into that harvest, but I think we're supposed to be included in that. When we finally see the need we see the overwhelming reality of people who don't know Jesus. Lord, would you send us? Is that you? If you know Christ, I'm telling you, you have been sent, but you may not have gone yet. You have been sent. Are we ready? It is God's design that we go. It is his design. It wouldn't it be easy if just Somebody looked at the sun and went, man, there must be a God in heaven. And all of a sudden, bam, they're saved. That, that would be incredible because a lot of people have that thought. But this is what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Isn't that a weird statement? How beautiful are the feet of those? What Paul's trying to say is how beautiful when the body of Christ puts one foot in front of the other and goes. That's it. It's not about feet. It's not some weird foot thing. He's saying get them moving, people. Get them wading into the water and get to fishing soon. I'd say that to some of you, and some of you are thinking about different people at work or family members, and you may be going, oh, I don't know, he's a pretty rough fella. He, he's far from God. Uh, we were recently shown an interesting tool called the Engel Scale. I want to show it to you on the screen, and I want this to encourage you, hopefully. This is called the Engel Scale. This guy came up with this, and the idea is that say there's somebody who is really far from God. They're way over here, negative 10. I mean, they are just, they're in rough shape, right? And, and like, like right now you're thinking, there's, I, don't, I don't know that they're going to believe. I don't know that I could say anything that would move them. Well, you don't know that. You can have a conversation with them that says, that makes them question something about their belief system. What if you, by, the, by the spirit and gra grace of God's spirit, they move from negative 10 to negative 9? Or to negative eight. And maybe they're questioning now. Well, maybe I'm wrong about that. Or maybe I could believe. Maybe I could see that. And they're moving step by step closer to a salvation, a salvific relationship with Jesus. Guess what that's called? Discipleship. When we can move somebody from, far from God, closer to the Lord, to salvation, and ultimately to a, a, a thriving disciple of Jesus who's making disciples, that is, a, that is a discipleship process. I hope that encourages you. 
Sometimes we think it's just too far to get that guy who's, you know, doesn't believe anything to be saved. Well, that is the ultimate hope. But can we, can we see that God moves him just a little towards the cross because of the relationship you have? Dig in, invest in the lives of people. You never know how God might be moving someone towards Jesus. So we have to know people, right? We have to know about them. We have to know what makes them tick if we're going to reach them. We have to go to where they are because they're not coming to us. And next, we have to show them sensitivity. Uh, everywhere we look, everywhere, when you go to lunch today, uh, there are going to be people who are hurting. At work, in your neighborhood, in your family, maybe even in your own home. There are going to be people who are really hurting. Pay attention to that. Not just because they need a ticket out of hell, but because their life may be hell. Their existence in the here and now may be a, a difficult thing, and they need the hope of Jesus. He's not just the beauty of eternity, right? It's not just heaven forevermore. It's right now God gives us hope and life. Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. We can have that in him now, and so many people need it right now. We need to show them this sensitivity. We, uh, I was given a book a while back um, called Bless, but it's a, I think it's acrostic is what it is, where it says B-L-E-S-S. And I read it this week in, in pre preparation. Oh, there you go, guys. Look at there. That's pretty fancy. Um, that's the book. It's a great book. Dave and John Ferguson wrote this. In this conversation about being fishers of men, this is a great book. I want to just kind of give you the, the cliff notes if I can for those of us that used to use those things. The B stands for this, begin with prayer. Remember the very first message of this series, we talked about the God of mission. The fact that this is his mission, it isn't good people kind of going, man, I need to be a good Christian and go tell, no, this is being obedient to God's mission to go, to make him known. This is being obedient as his disciples. But he's the only one who draws people to himself. I could preach until I'm blue in the face. I could plead with people, please come to Jesus. But if the Spirit of God does not draw them, they will not be saved, John 6, says. So we pray to the God of mission that he would draw people to himself. Lord, please, that's where we start. We begin with prayer. Please save these people we want to reach. Jesus continually is praying throughout his ministry. He goes off into the quiet. He, he's just praying nonstop. It helps us focus on the Lord. It helps us focus on our mission. It helps us focus on part of this purpose in knowing him. It helps us know who to serve, who to bless. God may lay somebody on your heart and, and it moves you towards that person that he's already preparing for salvation. We pray about specific people. I've told you this before. One of my favorite things to do, and it scared me to death when I first started doing this, and now I love doing it, but when we go to eat, and not every time, this is not every time, but when we go to eat, sometimes I'll pray for our, our waitress or waiter. The other day, a friend of mine wanted to go to um, Dave & Buster's for, for lunch. I was like, they serve food there? I'm like, yeah, okay. So we went over there, we, I'm eating a salad, and before we, before we got our food, this little waitress, I said, hey, we're going to pray. It, okay, if I pray for you. She just, I mean, she, she had a response like, she goes, you'd do that? I went, of course. She goes, oh my gosh. I said, what can I pray for? Tell me what we want to pray about. Oh, just, okay, okay. She's like, um, pray about the future. She started listing all these things. And I went, you know what? You can stay right here while we pray if you want to. She's like, yes. So she stood right there and we began to pray and I said, hey, I'm, if you don't have a church home, I'm a pastor just right around the corner here at South City. We'd love for you to come check us out. She's like, okay, South City, South City. She walks off. A few minutes later, she comes back with a napkin. Would you write that name down and would you put that, you know. It meant something to her that I would just stop for a minute or two and go, hey, why don't, can I pray for you? I don't have to know her to care for her. I can pray for her and maybe that'll open up more opportunities uh, for her to come to know Jesus. You know, what I, what I love about this concept of praying is that we better be ready. When we begin to pray, we better be ready for an adventure. 
Uh, in the book, there's a story of a guy who said, I went to a mall and I saw this guy sitting in the food court and I thought, I thought the Lord had said to me, go over there and tell him that I love him. And he went, are you crazy, God? I don't really want to do that. I, that's, I don't, you know, so he didn't do it. A little bit later, he's shopping, walking around, sees the guy again. It feels like the, the Lord says, go tell him that I love him. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And a little bit later, he's shopping still, and he sees the guy a third time, and he feels the Holy Spirit say, go tell that guy that I love him. Finally, he's like, okay, God. So he goes over, and he's like, hey, um, this, this may be a little weird, um, but I just want you to know God loves you. The guy starts crying. He said, I can't believe you just told me that. He said, this morning when I left to come to the mall, I told God, Lord, I, I want to believe in you, but I need to know that you love me. Would you send me a sign? He said, you're the third person at this mall that has come to me and said, God loves me. Guess what? God wants to reach people. He wants to use you. And it begins with prayer. We pray for people. We encourage people. Talk about a great adventure. Almost six years ago, Brother Jerry and I saw each other here at a, at a, a church reunion. And the church was, was struggling in some ways, and I just began to pray for the church. Never in my, a million years did I think me praying for the church would lead to me, me leading the church. That wasn't part of my understanding of the prayer. Right? I'm just going to pray for that church. They need somebody. And about 10 or 11 months later, God had moved my heart into this adventure that we now call South City Church. To God be the glory, because I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I don't know enough. But God has it all, right? Then we trust him, we pray, we lean into what he wants to do, and he can do anything through us as we pray and surrender to him. Here's, the, here's what the L stands for, listen. People just wanna be heard. They just wanna be heard. We need to ask questions. This is what Jesus would do. He'd ask questions and then just step back and listen. And, and not just listen, but, and, and not listen for response. Have you ever done that? Some, I'm guilty of that sometimes. You're in a conversation and you're like, as they're talking, you're like, oh, okay, okay, save that, save that, save that, save that. Oh, they're done. Okay, well now I really wanna tell you what I had to say. You ever done that? No, we don't do that. We listen because we care. We listen because we really wanna hear where they are, what their experience is, where they're at in life. We wanna hear their heart and story. It's not just a, a notch on our belt of conversion. Hey, won somebody to Christ. No, we need to know them, love them, listen to them. People want to feel heard and cared for. Only way we can do that is to listen. Dallas Willard, author of The Spirit of the Discipline, says, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. You can't really love people unless you give them your attention. Here's what the E stands for. Eat, my, my favorite one of the whole deal, actually. Eat. Eating with people simply helps move them from acquaintance to friendship. Doesn't it? Have you ever just kind of sort of known somebody and you're like, hey, let's grab lunch. Then you eat lunch and you're sharing stories and you're eating. And for some reason, there's, there's walls that come down. For some reason, you're closer. You feel like you can share more. There is something beautiful about eating a meal together. How many stories of there, of there are uh, of Jesus where he's eating with people? <laughs> the very first miracle Right In, in uh, John 2, he, the wedding at Cana is a, a wedding feast. He feeds 5,000. He feeds 4,000. He's eating at Matthew's house after calling him to follow him. And there's other sinners there. And the Pharisees ask, why is your rabbi eating with these sinners? Right? Because he knows that walls are being broken down. There's acceptance. There's love. There's exchange of value. I, I love this. The Lord's Supper the night before he's crucified. Look what N.T. Wright says about that. He says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. Isn't that good? There's something about eating together that brings us closer. I, I love the story of Jesus after Peter's denial of Christ three times, after his resurrection, he meets the disciples on the beach where he himself is preparing breakfast for the disciples. 
There's nothing like I can have memories of my mom coming home from college and walking in the door and, oh. It's just something that feels like, oh, this is home. This is the place that I love and the people that I love. Meals do that with us. I think it's funny and interesting that Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton. Did you know that? Luke 7. Why was he called that? Because he loved spending time with people over food and drink. He knew the power of that. Henri Nouwen is a wonderful writer. He says, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. When we say, help yourself, take some more, don't be shy, have another glass, we offer our guests not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. A spiritual bond grows, and we become food and drink for one another. That's the beauty of eating together. The first S is this, serve. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. When God lays on our hearts who it is that we wanna reach, we need to learn how to serve them. John 13 is a beautiful example of Jesus, the creator of the universe, wrapping a towel around his waist, getting on his, his knees, and washing the dirty feet of his creation. Why? To teach them how to serve. If Jesus can serve in such a humiliating and humble and unbelievable way, what can we do that shows people the love of Jesus? And after we've prayed for them, and after we've listened to them, and after we've eaten with them, most likely we will know how we can serve them. Most likely we'll know some areas of of their lives that we can step in, maybe watch their kids, mow their yard, take up their trash can, get their mail if they're gone, make a meal, make some cookies. How can we serve? Serving people's needs shows that we're, we're about more than just some information transfer. In fact, when we serve people in love, we're modeling the very thing we believe. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is how we live. You didn't ask for this. We just want to bless you. We want to serve you because we love you. And more than we could ever love you, Jesus loves you. That's the hope, right? So the last S is that very thing. It's story. We begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. We serve. And then we hope to get to a place where now We're exchanging stories. And after you've done those things with people, most likely they're like, what's your deal? (laughs) I've never met anybody like you. What's what's going on? Why do you do this? I do it because I love you. And I do it because Jesus told me to love you, because he's changed my life. Right? he's, he's, He's done everything in me. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Are we ready, church? Are we prepared to give that reason for our hope? Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those uh, who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. People will ask when we serve, when we love, when we pray. At some point, they'll they'll finally say, what's the deal? May we be ready to show them the hope we have in Jesus. I think about Abraham. We talked about this in our cohort this morning. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And, of course, we know that through the line of Abraham comes Jesus. And every person who trusts in Jesus as their Savior, every family who follows Jesus as their Savior is blessed beyond comprehension, right? That is the blessing. Look what John says, John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you're a believer in Christ, you will want to bless people. You will want for this living water that you have have come to know, that has changed your life, that gives you hope, like nothing else, you will want to bless people with it. Some of you may be saying, you know, I want to do that, but I'm struggling through a difficult moment in my life. 
I'm going through a divorce, I'm going through a job change, I'm going through a move, I'm going, who knows what you're walking through, depression, abuse, addiction, many different opportunities to be discouraged this morning. But can I just raise your gaze to the Lord? Because whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're dealing with, he wants to use. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. I read this a lot to you because I love it so much. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So that, you get that? This is the reason. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. They didn't have to walk through what you walked through. But when the God of all comfort comforts you in whatever you walk through, now you can comfort them in whatever they're walking through. With any, any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Friends, God has called us to be fishers of men. Not just disciples of the saved. He's called us to go and, and, and seek them. To know who they are. What makes them tick? What are they about? So that we can truly be effective in reaching them, to go where they are because they're not coming to us, right? To show them sensitivity, to bless their lives, to love them. And lastly, before we go, we have to sow the seed of God's word into their lives. We can't just, you know, the social gospel right now is to, hey, just as long as we serve the poor, help the needy, do these things, that, those are good things. But like I said last week, if we do those things and don't give them Jesus, we're leaving them without hope because the greatest need they have in their lives, the greatest need you have in your life is Jesus. We will chase after everything in this world, significance in our job, enough money, uh, sexual desires, whatever the thing may be. We'll chase after everything you can think of. And guess what? They will all leave you empty and hopeless. Only Jesus satisfies only Jesus meets your needs. And so the people that you meet when you walk out there and you go to lunch today, the people that you're working with that truly you may not see it on their face may be hopeless, may be devastated, may be just saying, when will I be satisfied because everything has left me empty? You could be the one to say Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope we have for everything we face, the healing for every hurt, the hope for every day from now until we, until we die. The joy of our lives. It's Jesus. An easy way you can do that, and I'll say this before we go. This was my life before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. This is my life after Jesus. Before I met Jesus, my life was a mess. I, I chased everything just like you are. How I met Jesus, I just asked him to forgive me my sin. I believe that he died for me. God raised him on the third day. I wanted to be different. I wanted to change. I asked him to change me, to save me, to walk in him. And since he saved me, my life is different. I'm different. I changed. I have hope. I live differently. I want to be around people who want to live differently. They see their lives, not just church attenders, but people who want to know Jesus and make him known. He's given me the most blessed life I can imagine. Friends, it's time to go fishing. <laughs> For men and women and children. To love them. To understand that God has saved us and he's sending us as missionaries. As we're going in our lives with intentionality. This is what Jesus did. This is what we should do. I want to give you a number before I close and pray for us. 2.4 million. It's a big number, isn't it? 2.4 million. You know what that number stands for? How many people in the United States are going to die in the next 365 days? 2.4 million people are going to die in the next 365 days in the United States. If we want to talk about the whole world, you know what the number is? 74 million people will die in the next 365 days. I don't know about you, but when I hear those numbers, my, my heart pays attention. My heart is saddened. Because how many of those people 
will die and go to hell without Jesus. How many people in your street? How many people at your work? How many people in your family will die without Christ? May God move our hearts to compassion, to know who we want to reach, to go to them, to show his love, and to show not just good help, but the cross of Jesus into their lives so that they might be saved. Right? This is the power of God for salvation. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we love you. Lord, what a, an opportunity for us today to continue this consideration that we are saved, you have changed us, but not just so that we can sort of be good people and have a habit of occasionally coming to church. You, you've saved us, and as we follow you, just as you called uh, Peter and Andrew, his brother, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Lord, what does that mean to me? As I follow you, would you help me to have an awareness of people who need you? Help me to, to research, help me to know, to, to love enough that I, I get to know, that I build relationships, that I go that have the intentionality to move out of this church, out of this building, out of my home, out of the comfort of my life with intentionality to be who you've called me to be, to be obedient to who you've called me to be, to make disciples and to go fishing for men. God, to show them such great sensitivity in love and care and then sow the seed of the gospel of Jesus into their lives. Help us, Jesus, to be those kind of people. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of a family. Motivate us, not at an obligatory level. <laughs> Motivate us, God, at a heart level, at a compassion level. God, help us to understand the truth enough to know that there is a place that is very real called hell. That, God, you have sent us to tell people about your grace and goodness so that they don't have to go there. And motivate us now, Jesus, by our hearts to be obedient, to be missionaries, to be missional, to be fishers of men, to those who don't know you. We pray it in your precious and perfect name.